2: and welcome to the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app as we take you the rest of the way here for the next 60 minutes breaking down all that is happening with the New York Giants. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. Multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. You could use hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. You can interact with us at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Or you can give us a ring at 201-939-4513. That's 201 939 three so we are right smack in the middle middle of the week here on a wednesday thursday will be the final scrimmage for the giants as they get ready to tune up for the first official week of the nfl regular season saturday then they're going to finalize the 53-man roster so we'll get into the latest there's also a latest transaction with respect to the giants so paul great deal to tackle over these next 60 minutes how's everything on your end
3: We're doing okay, Lance. Unfortunately, some wet and rainy weather in northern New Jersey, but the Giants only going through what would be considered a glorified walkthrough today before they get to the scrimmage. So this is not as significant a practice as the full padded ones from the last two days. But nonetheless, uh, all of these players who are trying to get onto the roster are running out of time because we all know the cuts are coming on Saturday.
2: Well, speaking of running out of time and joining the roster and trying to make an impact, let's start with the newest piece of news for the Giants, and they're bringing back a familiar face. John Jalapio was re-signed. He is now back in the offensive line room. And they also added Johnny Holton, wide receiver special teamer, who spent last season with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Let's first start with Jalapio. Yesterday, Paul, coincidentally, we spoke in great detail about the center competition. We were recapping what Nick Gates told the media and the fact that he's been in a three-way competition right now with respect to Spencer Pulley, as well as Tyler Haycraft. And now all of a sudden, you bring back Jalapio, who started 15 games at center. Unfortunately, he tore his Achilles in the finale against the Eagles. He had been working hard, rehabbing hard all offseason. We always had thrown out his name as a possibility. Well, here it comes to fruition a few days before they finalize the roster, and they have a guy that was the main center last season.
3: Well, you know, Dave Gettleman had never left uh, the conversation when it came to Hollow This is this is a guy who continued to come up every once in a while in a name dropping fashion. That oh, remember, Pio is uh, you know rehabbing. Pio's doing pretty good. Uh, you know, Pio's still part of the equation. Well, it turned out that was absolutely true, wasn't it? Because now he's here, he's back, he is signed, which means he's passed his not only his COVID stuff, but the physical stuff. You know, a couple years ago, we had the, the broken ankle and the broken leg. Then, as you mentioned, the Achilles last year. The guy is just, he has been to hell and back. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. You know, even from a time in the experimental fall football league, he, he is really a vagabond, to say the least and now potentially uh, getting back into the mix uh, for, for the center competition. Look, I'll say one thing. you got to give the guy tremendous amount of points for, for sticking with it and, and for his, his desire and his intensity and his, uh, his relentless pursuit to get back on the field what he has to offer right now I don't know that 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 the Giants really know Dave Gettleman may think he knows but this coaching staff is new Colombo doesn't know
2: Judge doesn't know they're going to need to see him on the field 100 percent he does have a connection though to Joe Judge because Joe Judge was in New England in 2014 when they drafted Jalapio, and then he spent the entire offseason with them before being released and then in 2016 Jalapeo was back with the Patriots for a few weeks in the offseason, also did not make the final 53-man roster. So Judge has some familiarity, but most important, Colombo. He's his positional coach, and there's no connection there.
3: Well, consider this. I mean, you're talking about 2014 when Jalapeo was taken in the sixth round by the Patriots and that he didn't make it to the opening day 53. So how much does Judge really know about him? Very, very little, and what he does have has mold on it
2: a lot changes quickly in the NFL. There's no (laughs) doubt about it. No, your point is well taken. I'm not saying that just because he was with him in 2016, you know, gives him the necessary intel to see where he is as a player in 2020, but at least it helps that you do have some connection and some relationship that has already been established. But they're going to have to get Jalapillo out on the field. They're going to have to see what he could do. We'll see whether or not he takes part in the scrimmage on Thursday. But I do think his experience gives him a significant edge over the other players in the mix. We know Spencer Pulley has starting experience, but as impressive as Nick Gates has looked in practice, let's not forget, Paul, he has yet to play one NFL regular season game at that position, and he even talked about it a few days ago that mentally it's quite the challenge when you're all of a sudden now setting the tone for the offensive line in the middle as opposed to being on the guard spot or perhaps on the edge at the tackle spot. So Jalapio, I think, despite the fact that he hasn't been in a game situation for quite some time because of the torn Achilles, I still give him a significant advantage because of his experience. And you also wonder, and this is just me speculating, Paul, and I'm curious your perspective. If Jalapio is back in the mix and their intention is to perhaps even give him the starting job, does that now perhaps throw Nick Gates into an option at right tackle? If they want to go that length, considering he also has played that position previously. How many times do we have to say the best five will play?
3: (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Yeah. So, so look, uh, just like the giants who have said they've agreed to a deal with Logan Ryan and judge said yesterday, he'll have to get through the protocols and can't sign until Thursday uh, in a similar fashion, just because Logan Ryan is here doesn't mean we know whose reps he's going to take. I mean, we've heard Joe judge say that Ryan is versatile. That's his best trait. He'll play him all over. So, all right, that means there's four or five guys right now who may all see a bit fewer reps than they thought they were going to see as Ryan gets shuffled around and moved. Well, much in this situation, is Jalapio going to quickly be inserted into the center competition? Uh, Is he being brought in for depth? Is he being brought in for maybe even depth at guard because we know he's played guard before? Is this part of the reason – that you're right, maybe they're not thrilled with what's going on at right tackle. Maybe they want Gates to steal that job away from Cameron Fleming, and they want Pulley and Jalapio to compete at center where they already did for a season. You make a great point, Lance. I don't know that we can really size up this equation right now.
2: And that's what makes this so fascinating, the timing of it all, right before they have to finalize the roster. But the fact that the organization at least knows John Jalapeo, he has some connections to the coaching staff, and he started 15 games there. Is that a strong enough selling point to say, okay, we bring him in as long as he's healthy? He obviously knows the two guards to the right and the left of him because he played here last season. Let's give him the starting job, and let's now experiment with Gates being an option at right tackle, Mr. Versatility. The good news is it gives the Giants options on the offensive line, and that to me is always a positive. You can never have enough depth. At any given time at that position, specifically in the trenches, and going up against, by the way, a Steelers team in week one that is a very physically minded team and a team that led the NFL in sacks with 54. So that's one entity in terms of the transaction wire. The other part was they added Johnny Holton, wide receiver. He spent three seasons with the Raiders from 2016 to 18, an undrafted player. Then he wound up with the Steelers last season. Now, the first thing that came to my mind, Paul, and we've seen this previously, and I'm not saying this was the only momentum part of it, but they are playing the Steelers in week one, as I just mentioned. We have seen teams sometimes go out, sign players that are out there that have familiarity with a first week one opponent, and then you use them for intel. Not to say that they're not an option to make an impact on the roster, but... I would not overlook that, that perhaps bringing in Holton is also a way to say, hey, you spent the bulk of 2019 with a team we're playing week one. We don't have preseason. There's not a lot of film out there of opponents. Let's see what you know. And then at the same time, he's a wide receiver slash special teamer.
3: Well, I will give you another angle to this, and that is – he has been a gunner and a specialist on special teams. He is known as a guy who really causes problems along the sideline as you're getting down in kick coverage. That is what he does better than anything else. In some ways, you could almost say he's from the same school as Cody Core, a wide receiver who barely was able to make an impact as a wide receiver, but clearly, clearly – made a name for himself as a gunner, and that's how he was able to cash a paycheck. So it's entirely possible that Nate Ebner is the new Michael Thomas and that uh, Johnny Holton is the new Cody Core. As the Giants try to replace – as. as you know, you may have heard the other day, Jeff Fegels was on uh, with uh, the Inside Look practice show that I did on Giants.com. And Fegels said, did you did you realize that five of the Giants' top six special teams players from last season are no longer here? I didn't realize that until he brought it to my attention. Antonio Hamilton, Zach Diasi, uh, Thomas, Core. And I could, I think there was one other guy that he mentioned. That I'm not, I'm, uh, uh, Antonio Hamilton. I'm trying to think who else he mentioned. Well, did he mention the change at kicker? No, he wasn't talking about the kicker. I can't remember now. But the point was, the bulk of the the special teams depth chart has been stripped away. So his thought was, well, uh, don't you think you know the Giants are looking at this and trying to figure out who is going to step up? and be that next really good special teamer? Because to say that Nate Ebner can do it all by himself would be foolish, right? Of course. So maybe Johnny Holton is being brought here. Okay, he can maybe help with some Steelers stuff. But if he can be the Cody Core uh, duplicate, if you will, maybe the Giants feel that during practice this month, they haven't found anybody to replace Cody Core. Maybe none of these receivers or DBs have stepped up in that role, and they figured, you know what?
2: We got a chance to go get one from the outside. Let's go get him. 65% of his snaps were on special teams last season with the Steelers, 283 to be exact. He has had a number of receptions over the course of his career. No numbers really jump off the page, so he's certainly capable of being a back-end wide receiver, to your point. He also actually has returned punts and kickoffs, small sample size, four total returns, but he can actually contribute there, if need be, in addition to being a gunner. So the versatility is something that made Johnny Holton an attractive piece. And, you know, there's also, similar to how we were talking about the center competition, well, what have we been talking about, Paul, all offseason? The depth and options at wide receiver. Now, all of a sudden, you add Holton last second, a guy like David Sills, and some of these other younger wide receivers who have been making names for themselves, and Austin Mack, CJ Board, who came on from the Jaguars, Derek Dillon, now they're saying to themselves, okay, what do I have to do now over the last few days to perhaps prove to the coaching staff that I deserve a spot on the 53? Remember, there are 16 spots on the practice squad, so a lot of these players we're naming will hopefully have an opportunity to pass through waivers and return to the team in some capacity. But you know, this is also the latest example of in the NFL, you could be having a great camp, You could be making a strong statement in terms of you're capable of doing this and that in special teams. Every team, every front office is always looking to upgrade and always looking to see Mm -hmm. where they can help themselves. And here is the latest example between what they did at center as well as what they did at the wide receiver special team spot.
3: I remember who the fifth guy was, David Mayo, who's now out because of knee surgery. There you go. Okay. So, I mean, and there you go. The five guys who were at the top of their special teams chart in terms of coverage skills and downing the ball – they're gone. So it's 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 definitely something that you know Joe Judge w- was going to have a microscope on. He had to, and
2: that's what he does. Well, and also think about how far special teams has come, Paul. How many years had we been talking about special teams was the Achilles heel of the Giants, one of their issues? And then little by little over the last two seasons, it had become a strong point where field position was not necessarily a major issue in terms of as all of the players you listed, contributing in making big open field tackles. Antonio Hamilton was tremendous in terms of downing the football. All of those hustle plays that added up. Michael Thomas recovering a block punt in the end zone against the Cardinals last season, if you recall, for a score. I could point to a variety of plays that, hey, they may have not led to Ws, but they certainly kept the Giants in the game. And now if you lose the framework of that unit, you have to find ways to replace that unit because if we're talking about the defense is relatively young, the offense has a new scheme. Well, what do you want to remain consistent, Paul, so that it doesn't come back to bite you? It's special teams. That's the one area you don't want to lose some leverage. You don't want to lose field position. So I could understand Thomas McGahey and Joe Judge, to your point, having a major special teams background, getting together and saying, hey, we want to maintain that strong point, how do we go about doing that? Well, let's look at the free agent market, and it seems as if they're going that route.
3: Well, bottom line is you want to try to see what you could do with the guys who are currently on your roster, and Joe Judge made that very clear yesterday. Of course. You'd prefer to do that. If you can, you know, see what you have, see what you can coach up, get the most out of these guys, see what their potential is, and if at all possible, keep it in-house. But if you just don't see what you need to see – Well, now you have to look outside, and perhaps that's what they've done here.
2: Well, and also the experience aspect. Johnny Holton's been in the league for quite some time. A number of the wide receivers on the back end of the depth chart are undrafted players, and that's not to say that they can't play special teams because a few of them did, but when you think about where they're coming from in their college careers, a number of these wide receivers, specifically the two Ohio State players, they were prominent wide receivers within their offensive scheme, so you weren't necessarily throwing them out for a lot of special teams over the course of the 2019 season, whereas Holton is not that far removed from a special teams game because that's exactly what he was called upon to do with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But the fact that they've made these transactions just goes to show you the decisions that the Giants coaching staff is going through before they have to finalize the 53-man roster is not so simple. There's a lot of tough decisions that have to be made. Joe Judge talked about this over the last few days, Paul, with the media sessions where he was asked about, you know, how challenging is it to make these decisions? You don't have the preseason games. The coaching staff is going off of some film from last year. They're also going off of limited opportunities within practice. And that's another reason why these teams are making transactions. It's not just the Giants. It's a lot of teams across the board because you want to get a glimpse of a player before you have to make the final call to see whether or not they could change the conversation no matter what positional group you're talking about. And I'm not saying that we haven't seen a lot of transactions in years past. Teams are always working the waiver wire. They're always working the phones, But I think there's a little bit more emphasis on perhaps those last-second transactions right before the 53, simply because you don't have those preseason games. So a lot of chess pieces are being moved around. You just don't have that game-simulated situation to go by, which you normally would every offseason.
3: No, look, there's little question, as we've discussed for months, that the younger guys especially were going to need preseason games to show their wares. I don't envy any of these coaches, Lance, and I'm sure you feel the same way, to have to sit down and make these cuts on Saturday. I don't. I, I In all honesty, it's almost like going into a restaurant and being told, okay, we'd like to take your order, but you don't have a menu. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, Seriously. You know, oh, it looks like a steak place, so I guess I'll order steak and a baked potato and a salad. Okay, but, you know, I have an idea of what, what what might look good based on the decor of the place. But if I don't really see the menu, do I really know the specifics about what we're talking about?
2: Yeah, you're going in blindly to a certain degree, or you're going in based on information from the previous season to base your answers on. And just like we were talking about jalapeno off the top, jalapeno. Hasn't played since the regular season finale. So you could get an update on his rehab. You could get an update on how hard he's been working. Completely different story without OTAs, spring workouts, and so forth. How things are going to pan out in the regular season. So in case you're just joining us once again, the Giants adding... Two new faces, one, though, familiarity, and John Jalapio, he's back in the mix, as well as wide receiver special teamer Johnny Holton, who's with the Steelers last season. Multiple ways for you to join us here on The Conversation, 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. You can also directly hit us up, at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. Let's head to the phones. Scott is in New Mexico. He joins us on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Scott?
4: Hey, guys, how are you doing this morning?
2: You're right, Scott. How's things with you? Uh, uh,
4: uh, Just to throw my two cents in, as far as the center position, I like the way Nick Gates played last year uh, at right tackle. I know, uh, according to you, Lance was a small sample size, but I would rather have experience, especially when you're going up against the Pittsburgh middle of that team where you have, as I mentioned before, a Cameron Haywood, who can destroy uh, that, that whole offensive line by himself. So I, I really feel either Pulley or Halapia will be a better fit than Nick Gates, but that's just my personal opinion. Uh, so far as my main question, uh, every team uh, in the league, generally speaking, has an impacting player, both on offense and defense. Uh, I'll take Chicago, for example. You know, obviously Khalil Mack on defense and maybe Tar on offense. Uh, Negating the quarterback just for a second, I wanted to get your personal opinions as to who you think the most impactful player for the Giants will be on defense and who the most impactful player on offense will be in order for the Giants to really have a really good season. I have my own opinion. I don't know if you want me to tell you now or wait till you...
2: Uh, well, you could tell, tell us me. now, and then Paul and I will expand on that. Okay. I think that works best. I mean,
3: offense is pretty easy. It's got to be Jones or Barkley. Let's not kid ourselves.
4: Well, I, I I differ from you, Paul, in that regard. I think the most the guy who's going to make the most impact this Thomas. year, if he stays healthy, is Evan Ingram. Oh wow! And, and the guy on defense that I think that will be the most impactful will be Dexter Lawrence, uh, based on what I saw so far in in preseason and what he can actually physically do now going into this year because of his strength and what he brings to the table. That's what I think. But I wanted to get now your opinion of what, who you think, the guy. And I'm negating Daniel Jones because quarterbacks obviously are the most important position. But yeah. what do you think, uh, in your opinion, the, the, the most important players are going to be?
3: Well, based on the fact that we know Jason Garrett's style of offense and what he would like to do is heavily feature the running back, I mean, you know, we're talking about Barkley probably with 2,000 yards from scrimmage. He's going to be probably on the field upwards of 85 to 90% of the snaps. It would just be impossible for me not to pick him on offense. I understand your selection of Ingram. There's no doubt about his receiving capabilities and what he could bring to the offense. But he is not going to touch the ball or be on the field as many times as Barkley will. So I have to go with Saquon.
4: Okay. And on defense?
3: A defense, it's a really hard one for me because I would like to say one of the defensive linemen, but I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm going to have to go with Jabril Peppers
5: because okay.
3: because of the way that Patrick Graham is going to try to scheme his way to an improved unit. I think that Peppers is going to be a significant part of that by being a, a joker, if you will, in a lot of ways, especially okay. now that they have brought in Logan Ryan. And, of course, that signing is, is agreed to, but signing is supposed to be on Thursday, according to Coach Judge, after he clears the protocol. I think that Peppers is going to be freed up to do even more things once Ryan gets here because of his own versatility.
2: See, on defense, I would go with Lorenzo Carter. I think he is the X factor, the potentially most impactful player, because if Marcus Golden's back, the mystery of, well, who's going to be that consistent force opposite Marcus Golden, and certainly the early returns in that scrimmage were positive, but we want to see it in an actual meaningful regular season game. Carter's not a bad pick, Lance. I I like that one, too. I mean, I think if you have two legitimate options up front that could get after the quarterback and – You can involve everything in that. Of course, stopping the run, deflecting passes. I'm not just saying sacks, okay? I'm talking about quarterback hits. I'm talking about a little bit of everything. But don't give me a flash one game and then quiet the next three and then you come alive in the fourth or fifth game. I'm talking about every game you go in, you're penning that player in. Lorenzo Carter, to me, meets the criteria, Scott, that you're talking about. So I would put him at the top of the list. As far as offense, I like both of the options you threw out. And Evan Ingram was the guy that I was going to lean towards because he was on a career pace last season before he got hurt. But Paul sold me actually on Barkley the more and more I was listening to his rationale. I agree. I think that the rushing attack is still what's going to be the key to the ignition this season, regardless of anybody you bring up in the passing game. Because you look at what Jason Garrett did with Zeke Elliott. You look at what happened with DeMarco Murray. The rushing attack is still the most important component of the Dallas offense, regardless of what Dak did, regardless of what Amari did and Dez and so forth. So they need the rushing attack. Now, to generalize, I would say the offensive line is a group, probably maybe even Trump Saquon Barkley. But yes. the fact that, right, But the fact that Barkley's able to overcome some issues and weaknesses in the offensive line because of his versatility and strength, I think Saquon probably would top my list. So I would agree with Paul. You know, one other thing
3: you just mentioned, Lance, and Scott, bear with me a second, about the consistency of the pass rush. Think about this. Marcus Golden played his way to 10 sacks last year and had multiple sacks only once. Okay? There were a couple of games where he had a half a sack. You know what that means? That means in 11 of the 16 games he played, he had at least half a sack. That's consistency. Yeah. That's and and to stack. be perfectly frank with you, that's one of the reasons why I'm such a big Marcus Golden fan. He didn't stack up his sacks in two or three games. No, he didn't do that. Marcus Golden, week in and week out, he was finding a way to harass the quarterback and, I, you know, I think it's often talked about by Lance about, you know, certain guys, uh, you know, you don't want to overestimate what Zimenez might do or what he might do because maybe they had a game or two that maybe inflated their numbers. That's not the case with Marcus Golden. He had one game that was against Tampa where he had more than one sack. He had two that day. Otherwise, he spread them out. This guy was a consistent force. Imagine if Carter steps up and becomes a pass rushing force I'm not so much sure about what Carter's ceiling might be. What could be his impact on Marcus Golden
4: to open
2: things up for him on the opposite side?
4: Yeah. Well, the reason I picked the picks I did, uh, I was looking in generalities with, so let's just take Evan Ingram. When I looked at him, uh, if you look at the really good teams in the NFL, one thing that's consistent is great tight end play. Kelsey in, in Kansas City, obviously, for in Philadelphia. You can go down the list. Uh, and they create havoc, and that's what you want to do on offense because they, they make teams have to play them. So that's why I thought and Evan Ingram's in that category. He, he's probably faster than most of them, and he can create havoc in so many different areas. On the Dexter Lawrence pick, the reason I mentioned that, I just think because of his strength – and because of what he means to the line, how he can stop the run, and now I understand he has the ability to sort of get to the quarterback, and I'm not comparing him to a Reggie White. I'm just saying that a player like that can have a tremendous influence in so many different areas. I agree with what you guys were saying, but that's the rationale I was using in regards to the picks I have. You know what the problem is here,
3: Scott? The problem is, we can make logical arguments for a bunch of different players because the sure. Giants don't truly have Superman, you know, that we can talk to. Or, or but they do on offense. I guess they, they, you know, they do have a couple of supermen in oh, terms yeah, of Jones, do. Jones and Barkley for sure. And and Ingram could be, I suppose. But on defense, there's no bona fide Superman who's going to go into the phone booth and come out flying high. They really don't have one, and, and maybe that's the biggest problem right now, and why we can argue about some different guys and say, well, maybe this guy be, could be the one. Yeah,
2: right. there's potential and upside, but there's not necessarily that one dynamic guy that yeah, like, like
3: LT, right? Yeah, over the course <laughs> right. of his
2: career, that he could go in and he's <laughs> going to wreak havoc and change a game or change the outlook of a game. Heck, we don't even—they don't even have a Jesse Armstead on this team. Well, because it's so young and unproven, a lot of the bulk of the roster. There's no doubt about it. And, Scott, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for chiming in here on the conversation. And I agree with his rationale behind Evan Ingram. Like I said, I think that's a good selection if you were asking me X factor because he was on a very encouraging path. But, once again, if you take Evan Ingram Ingram out of the equation – They also have Caden Smith, who I thought was very productive last season. Does he have the speed? Does he have the vertical depth of Evan Ingram? No. But what I'm saying is I think they could make do with their receiving core and Saquon, and if some of the other pieces produce that, if you lose Evan again, God forbid, maybe not being the end of the world, whereas if you don't have somebody opposite Marcus Golden, then it really becomes, well, when the offenses are going up against your defense if they think they can handle Golden one-on-one, who else are you giving them a reason to focus on? Right, Paul? That, that, to me, is a big part of being a good defense. You want to prove to the opposition, we've got multiple guys you better pay attention to. So, for example, the Steelers, Hayward was brought up inside. Then we talked about Bud Dupree, TJ Watt. Okay, I just named three guys up front. You better pay attention to them because they're capable of doing damage. When are the Giants going to get to the point to prove to the opposition It's not just Marcus Golden. There's other guys right now that can easily get to the quarterback and do damage. We haven't gotten to that point yet, and until we do, I don't think the mindset of the opposition changes. Now, I'm
6: surprised neither of you guys mentioned James Bradbury
2: for a potential difference maker on defense. Well, I think Bradbury is a good name to throw out, but, John, as we've said multiple times on this program, they'll just throw to the opposite side of the field. Well, yeah, but that's the point, though. You, you you don't even know who's going to be on the opposite side of the field, John. <laughs> uh, it's not a it's
3: not a bad idea, but Bradbury hasn't exactly had a stellar camp, and, and 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 you know, to be frank with you, until I see him play as he's capable of when he's in a Giants uniform, I don't think I can go there. Well, I, I
6: well maybe maybe I'm reading the question differently. The way I kind of read the question was, who do you think the most important player is on that side of the ball? Which is why I think if. Bradbury plays really well, I think it's really impactful. But if he doesn't play well, I think it's also extremely impactful the other way. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
3: I, I, you know, that's it, it's a, again, it's a logical point. There are many logical points to be had,
6: no doubt. How, how do you guys think about one of the offensive tackles on offense, Fleming or Thomas?
3: Yeah, I, I, I mentioned that to him while he was talking. I, I threw out Thomas. I, was, I wouldn't have been surprised if he went there.
6: Not at all. By the way, Gettleman's going to start real soon, folks. Uh, We can't air that live. FYI, Dave Gettleman's going to talk to the media today. I will monitor that, guys, and when it's done, if we are still on, I will pop on and let you know if he said anything important, okay?
2: Please do. Sounds like a plan. We certainly appreciate it. Just real quickly, before we head back to the phones here, Paul, to John's point that James Bradbury belongs in the conversation— The more and more I'm thinking about it, I think you could argue the corner opposite James Bradbury. Whoever wins the starting job is more critical than Bradbury. (laughs) TBA, Mr. TBA. Well, TBA, no, but can't you argue that that corner may be more critical than Bradbury? Because while your point about Bradbury may have had some ups and downs in camp, you at least know what you're getting out of Bradbury for the most part. You think so. Yeah, you think so. He's a veteran, okay? You don't know what you're getting out of the corner opposite Bradbury right now because you don't even know which player is going to be lined up there. We do not. That's a, so. That, yeah. So the 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 kaleidoscope
3: of players who play the other corner could be the most important.
2: Okay, I'll buy that. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, Wednesday's edition, focusing on some of the latest transactions, the Giants adding John Jalapio back in the fold, as well as newcomer Johnny Holton, wide receiver special team, are also delving into the conversation about most important players on both sides of the ball that could truly make an impact for not just themselves, but the rest of the unit. Joe is in Pennsylvania, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Joe?
0: Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Great job, as usual. Uh, Last time I called, uh, you know, I did say uh, it's been a little while. I said I I wanted the Giants to sign somebody like a defensive end or a cornerback, and I guess they did sign that cornerback. Now, uh, what's his name there? Did he take his test?
2: You're talking about Logan Ryan?
0: Yes. Did he take his test?
2: Well, remember, it takes a few days for everything to go through in terms of the COVID-19 and the physical, and Joe Judge... When he met with the media the other day, said he doesn't anticipate him joining the team on the field until Thursday, the earliest. Right.
1: So.
0: Well, I, I I'm just glad they they signed him because, like I said, we I, I think we just have too many guys next year who 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 are going to be up for contracts like Leonard and that, and who's ever playing the best. I I think you know I mean we we signed him. That's my feelings on that. Uh, well, but, to
3: be but... to be honest with you, hold on a second, because you know if you've looked at the giant salary cap situation going into next year, the fact of the matter is they're actually not in bad shape when you consider the guys who are who are up. It's it's not nearly as bad as you think it is, and you know, well here I'm going I'm to pull up the list because you would be surprised. Leonard Williams is certainly a, a very important part to their to their rotation. Uh, Kyle Fackrell is supposed to be an important part to their rotation. Uh, Marcus Golden, obviously. But to be honest, if Cameron Fleming leaves after a year, I think they would like to believe that Matt Pert is going to accelerate his development and he's probably going to be competing, if not taking the starting right tackle job. So outside of those guys that I just mentioned, Adelvin Tomlinson, absolutely. Okay, I give you Adelvin Tomlinson. Outside of that. I don't think there's another free agent to be on this Giants team that you would be you know, on your hands and knees trying to bring back to the roster.
0: No, but at least I, that's what I said. That's why I wanted to go out and spend and bring somebody else in to see how they're playing, like this cornerback we just signed, that if he plays good, then we give him a long-term quarter uh, uh, contract. The more you have the juice from the better, you know. If somebody gets hurt bad or something like that, then you, you're not going to sign them. That's, no, that's no, but but, but here,
3: here's here's the thing: if you don't have a lot of significant guys to resign during the off season, it now gives you the opportunity to spend money on maybe somebody who is on the open market. If you start spending money now too much, you're not going to have but pennies going into next year. And to be frank with you, I think it's very fair to say the Giants are still a developing team. They're a team whose arrow is up, and they should be a better team in Joe Judge year two than they are in Joe Judge year one. At least that's the logical plan. Would you not agree?
0: Uh, yeah, Paul, but I'd like to have these guys in here this year on one-year contracts like we're doing with this cornerback. And if he's playing good, then for sure you know what he can do. And if we want to resign them, Lance, you know? Lance, well, tell and him. going to it's Lance, make a team stronger, you know. Lance,
3: tell Definitely. him the problem with getting a whole bunch of guys on one-year contracts besides the fact that you have to get them to agree to them.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, of well, course, we, it takes we two to tango. That. We, th- that's we number one, job. that one. Like I said, too, if we'd still have, if I was with the, the G, GM and if I had the money and I could do it, I'd bring Clowney in here yet. You know what I mean? If he can play and, and we can do it then for one year, hey, I'd be happy with that. And well, but, what it, what
2: Joe, we could I think what you're overlooking a little, and Paul and I have talked about this a lot, the Giants are also not just thinking about financial health for 2020. Cap space can roll over. To 2021 and the reason why that's important is it's not so much paul's point about maybe trying to lock up a player you just don't know how free agency is going to play out next year. Nate Solder returning, how that impacts the finances. And also, if the cap's going to be a floor of $175 million, we don't know what the ceiling is yet because we don't know how the finance is going to play out in this season, which is going to impact the cap. So I think you're operating, based on your rationale, more on just now as opposed to teams don't think about just now they've got to also plan for the years to come. So that's another Uh-oh. reason why I don't like the idea of you just spend for the sake of spending. You know,
0: I, I, I'm, I, I'm not spending just for the sake. If we bring someone in like Conley, if we had the money and he plays good, he's a young guy, he can go with this program. That's see, here, all i Here's
3: the thing. What, what the, the general football philosophy and the way that the business is run today means you don't load up with a bunch of one-year contract guys unless two things. Either, A, you're really close and you think you're going for a Super Bowl championship, and those five one-year contract guys can put you over the top. That's the first way you do it. The second way you do it is if you are undergoing a massive rebuild, and the Giants already went through this, I think, last year when they signed like 10 one-year contract guys. You're going through a massive rebuild. You're just trying to get rid of a lot of dead wood and a lot of soiled carpets, and you're simply bringing in placeholders until you can actually get your reclamation plan underway. Those are the two basic core philosophies under which you start signing a ton of one-year contract guys. The Giants, as they're constructed in 2020, are in neither of those positions right
0: now. Okay, I don't want to argue. I'll, I'll have one more question because you'll cut sure me real off quick. Quick here before there. Uh, do you think this is the end for Pulley? I sort of sort of think what Charlie said too. I think this is the end, especially you know with signing Jalapeno. You know. I I sort of think this is the end for him. And uh, I have one that asks, too, do you think any other veterans might get cut like uh, our fullback there? That's all. Take care. Bye-bye. Go Giants.
2: All right, Joe. Appreciate the phone call. Well, he's referring to Eli Penny before we get into Pulley. Byrne Burns, the running back's coach, spoke very highly Paul, when he was asked about Eli Penny in terms of what he means to the room. And while Dallas didn't involve a fullback tremendously in the offense, I remember going back through the offseason, I talked about the snap counts for fullbacks. It wasn't overwhelming. It really depends on whether or not they feel in combination with this offensive line. If there's some new faces and young guys, if they feel that another blocker can assist them and if they value that, then I would expect Eli Penny to make the team. If they don't think that they need a fullback within this offensive game plan, then perhaps they want to use the roster spot elsewhere. Remember, there are four spots, six spots, actually, I think, on the practice squad, right, where there's no limitation on how many years you have in the NFL. Correct. So, you know, you could have the leeway to bring a veteran back and put him on the practice squad. That is always an option.
3: Sure it is. As far as Spencer Police is concerned, if the Giants were to, to decide to cut him, there is no dead money involved. So his entire cap savings uh, would be, you know, the, the salary that, uh, that he would, would have been paid this year. So I could understand from a business perspective, there are no walls per se in terms of an expensive dead money hit that would prevent you from doing that. So if that's what they decide to do, from a business perspective,
2: it would be a clear path to do so. I think it also comes down to how good they feel about their other options at center. Because there is value, Paul, and especially with Jalapio's injury history, right? Remember, two games limited to in 18, and then I know he played 15 games, but he's also coming off a torn Achilles. So if you go into this saying, okay, we're bringing back Jalapio, he's our starter. Well, who then is your backup center? Yes, Nick Gates has taken reps. He could be the backup center. But what if Nick Gates now enters the conversation about right tackle? And you also need the swing tackle. So he's in that conversation. Do you feel good about Shane Lemieux maybe sliding over to center? Do you want Haycraft to make the roster? Or is he more of a practice squad guy? You have to ask yourself, before you make a decision on pulley, I guess my point is, Paul, you have to say to yourself, what do we think about our options As an emergency center, backup center. That has to be talked about before you even entertain the idea of parting ways with somebody like that.
3: No question. And you guys know I've been talking about Pulley ever since uh, the the offseason began. I I like Spencer Pulley. I think he can get the job done. But he's been involved in a battle with Nick Gates. Gates has been incredibly impressive. How this shakes out over the course of the next few days, uh, you know, I don't think anything would surprise me but i will also say to you that i would not you know go to atlantic city or las vegas <laughs> and put down a, a you know a, a big pile on red
2: and say this is exactly the way it's going to be because i don't think we know lance very much up in the air across the board with a lot of positions especially since you just haven't had the luxuries of preseason games and some of the other entities that you usually turn to to perhaps give you a glimpse of where the coaching staff may be leaning, or how a player is looked, and so forth. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito, with you here on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live two zero one nine three nine four five one three Let's head back to the lines. Phil is in North Carolina. He joins us here on BBKL. What's happening, Phil?
7: Yes, hey guys, uh, thanks for fielding my call and uh, good job as always to you guys. A uh, couple of things. One is I, I just want to get a little, have a little perspective here on a few things. One is the it appears that we, we definitely have reset
2: the rebuild clock. Well, what do you mean by that? Should to go. But because of
7: the, the chaos this year and the new coach, seems like we've reset that to, okay, it's not a three-year rebuild. It's more like a four- to five-year rebuild. Would you agree with that?
2: I mean, I don't know if I'd say the timeline or the timetable has changed because the roster is still relatively young. So I I don't know if we know more about a number of these players versus where we stood at the tail end of last season. I don't think a great deal has changed. Plus, as I just mentioned, this was uncharted territory with respect to the off season, Simply because you're adding a few veteran free agents, I really don't think that changes the direction of the team and the viability of the team long-term Because a number of these guys are also not on long-term contracts. So you don't know whether or not they're going to be here for a year. You don't know whether or not they're going to be here for two years or three years. So I would counter what you're saying. I just don't think the conversation has dramatically changed from where we were evaluating this team for the bulk of last season as well as throughout the offseason.
7: Yeah, I I, I agree with that, Lance. I guess I I was thinking in terms of, you know, when we first hired the GM, we thought it's a three-year rebuild, but we now are at year four. Are we at three? I'm losing track. This is is
3: season number three under Dave Gettleman. And I agree with you. When he was brought to the Giants right before New Year's of January 2018, It was my impression by listening to him, I connected all the dots and said, okay, he's hoping that in three years the Giants are a legitimate playoff contender. And quite frankly, I have no idea what's going to happen this year with the pandemic and everything else, the crazy training camps, uh, all that the NFL has gone through. I'm not going to sit here and tell you the Giants will or won't make the playoffs. What I will tell you is the team is significantly better than they were three seasons ago. And if it means that it takes four years to get them in and they become a playoff team in 2021, Jesus, I'm not going to cry about that because the bottom line is they've been going in the right direction.
7: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I I just wanted to kind of check to see if you guys felt similar to what I, I kind of, taken in here in the last um, year or so. I I do Um, think it's
3: more likely that it's going to wind up being four, that they will be a playoff team in 2021. I do think that is more likely based on what we have seen. But you also have to take into account – Unfortunately, uh, you know, they had a coaching change. Unfortunately, even though Eli was playing good enough to continue playing, and I still think he could have played another season, uh, the, the guys around him let him down. The defense just absolutely just fell apart. The offensive line didn't even play respectable at times. They, they were up and down. And, uh, you know, things crumbled. I mean, but best-case scenario, as John Maris said, training camp last season – we want Eli to play the season. If if Daniel Jones does not take a snap, it's perfectly okay, because that means not only is Eli playing well, but the rest of the team is playing well, and we're in contention. That was the best-case scenario, and they were really hoping that that was going to happen.
7: Me too. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. Anyway, so I'm, I'm, I was always a big Eli fan, and I appreciate what he did for us. So, um I guess I guess the the other the other thing I just commented, when I was looking through the draft history there was something up recently and I caught caught my eye and boy we're, did we have horrific drafts for about an eight year period. It, 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 Tom Conklin, you know, he had smoke and mirrors to get the record the wins that he got. Um, you know, looking at who we were drafting, just no replenishment at all, and we're doing much better now. But the one the one Thorn on my side is you know I wish Dave had the tendency you know my rule of thumb is don't you know go up to grab players uh, let the board fall to you kind of like the what the Ravens and some of these in you know, the Patriots do and um, and if you're going to draft it move in the draft draft down you know the only exception i would say is a quarterback so cuz uh, you know i'm thinking of DeAndre not only does it hurt us because you know, we lost the first rounder, but we also lost a third. Right? Wasn't it a third? Okay, on him but, too. But, so. but
3: but by that same token, unless you're you're talking different errors and different philosophies, Ernie Acorsi, obviously he went to get Eli Manning. Now that's a QB. You've already said that's an exception to your rule. But he also traded up to go get Jeremy Shockey, who was a very important part of that team that went to a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, he got he got hurt
7: uh, in the end, Ernie, but, uh, but he was a big deal. Yeah, was—I uh, always appreciated Ernie. He was a good GM. So, um, but anyway, okay, guys, I just, just you know, I just want you know, it, it's tough to see us lose, you know, valuable draft picks, you know, and I, especially when Dave is picking them well. So, I don't want him to like forfeit draft picks. I want him to stay on the board and pick guys because I think he's really done nice in the middle round. So that's all I have to say. Thanks. I appreciate, appreciate everything. All
2: right, Phil. Appreciate the phone call. And yeah, the best way to build up a team's roster is certainly getting quality players in the middle rounds who can help your team. There's no doubt about that. You look at 2019, for example, Shane Zimenez in the third round, Julian Love in the fourth, Ryan Connolly and Darius Slade in the fifth, and Ballantyne in the sixth, and all those guys I named could very well play critical roles this season. Lorenzo Carter in the third round in 18, and then B.J. Hill in the third round as well. You want those players to make up the bulk of your roster so you're not going on a spending spree. So your point is well taken. Paul, I'm not going to disagree with the sentiment that you want quality and substance in the draft, but at the same time, if you do like a player and he has high value on your board and you feel it's worth packaging picks to move up, I also don't think that that's crazy and that's a stretch. I think, you know, the caller's point, you're also judging it based on, unfortunately, DeAndre Baker is on the commissioner's exemplist right now. If DeAndre Baker wasn't on the commissioner's exemplist right now, I don't think that would be a point that most people would be making, in fairness.
3: Well, let's consider that Dave Gettleman has made 26 draft picks since he took over as the Giants GM, again, right before New Year's in 2018. Just take a guess, Lance. Of the 26 draft picks that he has made, how many are still on the team? Just take a guess.
2: I would say probably just over 50% of them, or around there. How about 24 out of 26? Okay, well, then that's well over 50%, yes.
3: Kyle, Kyle Loretta is gone, okay? George Asafo Ajay is gone, You could have uh, went the
2: easy route and just said Big George, but go ahead. Okay,
3: Big George. And other than that, at this moment, 24 of his 26 picks over his three seasons as GM are still on this
2: roster this morning. Does anybody really have a problem with that? And that's how you maintain continuity. And also the whole point is you draft guys to warrant second contracts and also to develop them. That's always the key. With respect to the draft, you don't want to bring in players, rent them for a year, and then move on. Then you're going to have to replace them through free agency, and that's how you get into salary cap issues. Let's head back to the lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's check in with Don in Texas joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Don?
8: AP hey, Dot. hey Lance, how you guys doing?
2: Hi. Doing are right. What's on your mind, Don? All right.
8: Before I join, I want to join in on that little logical defensive debate that you guys were having earlier, but I kind of tuned in a little late. I'm sorry about that. But before I get to that, I just wanted to know what was the injury update on Holmes. What exactly did he hurt, and is there a time frame that we're looking at with him?
3: Well, he pulled up a little gimpy during the scrimmage and then sat out the rest of the night, but then since then came back to practice and has been in full. So whatever it was, it might have been a cramp. It might have been dehydration because uh, no evidence of it the last couple of days, so I wouldn't worry about it.
8: All right, that's a big exhale. I'm glad that worked Oh, out. yeah, you're
3: not kidding. He, he's got to be the starting slot corner.
8: Yeah, he's super important to this defense. Now, I overheard you guys talking about who's super important on the defense. I'm going to keep it real simple. For me on defense, either side of the ball. Who is the quarterback of either side of the ball? That's why I'm gonna say Blake Martinez is
6: super Wow. Great.
3: That's uh there's another logical angle to this, isn't there?
8: <laughs> yeah, because for me, P dot you know I'm huge on defense. Defense is me, I love defense. So over the past couple of years watching the confusion on defense, people not lined up right, missed tackles, missed dropped interceptions from the linebacker position. It is actually very painful to watch after watching the great 80s linebackers. And then to watch what's going on now, it's like simple football. So if you're out there and you're thinking of what you're supposed to be doing, you already lost. So the quarterback of the defense, Blake Martinez, in my opinion, is so important. Again, if you can see the play and react and just do it, you already are not beating yourself on the defensive side of the ball. But if you're out there thinking about, am I supposed to be here? Or why is this happening? Why is the quarterback of my defense missing tackles? That causes a whole slew of problems. All right, guys. Just want to add my two cents. Have a good day.
2: Hi, John. Appreciate the phone call. Now, you brought up Paul Jabril Pepper's name who I would say really falls right in line with his point about Blake Martinez, because you know, Martinez can only do so much for the back end. peppers is critical in setting the tone even further back on the field. So I would say both of those guys are in line to be the title of quarterback of the defense because the chemistry and the communication remember with respect to the secondary, sometimes that falls on the shoulders of the safety more so than it falls on the shoulders of the linebacker. And, you know they need to be able to stop the run but also coverage is critical with respect to the linebackers as well as the secondary players so i think peppers and martinez would belong in my conversation with respect to the quarterback of the defense there
3: well you know lance i think it comes down to semantics i think the original question was which guy would make the most impact on defense now if you interpret that to be who is the most important and generally could affect the philosophy of how the defense is played or affect the philosophy of how an offense is going to attack them, that's probably one question separate from who is the guy who's going to make the most splash plays Because we often consider the word impact as guys who are making interceptions, guys who are making fumble-causing hits, guys who are making sacks, guys who are getting tackles for losses. Those are splash plays, and those are impact plays, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the player was the most impactful overall.
2: You see, it's a, to me, it's actually a different question, and we might have actually confused the question during the conversation. Well, I think we combined forces on the question. That's what I think we did, where it sort of transformed over the course of the dialogue, because the initial question was most impactful. Okay. And then we sort of got into the conversation, and the last caller brought up the term quarterback, and quarterbacking of the defense, I don't know if you would argue is most impactful, maybe— Most critical to the communication aspect, whereas most impactful could be more in line with what you're talking about, the splash plays. The bottom line is it's all related somewhat, where the Giants, let's put it this way, because of the youth and because of guys that we know are new faces and maybe have some undefined roles, it's fair to throw in a lot of players within this conversation. I don't think that's a stretch at all. Let's head back to the lines, and we check in with Jamie, who is in Hoboken. Jamie, what's happening?
5: Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call.
2: Thanks for making it. What's um, on your mind?
5: Uh, so, uh, just listening in, I just wanted to kind of add something to that conversation. I think Bradbury, I mean, being that it's his first year, should be in his prime, he just got a good deal, and, and you know, the questions in our secondary, I think uh, that that he needs to have a good game. If he can lock the number one receiver um, on, on the teams that we're facing, which we're facing a lot of tough teams, you know, I think that that's going to be key to not only... Or, or success, but also motivating other guys and, and, and becoming a leader there. Um, so I just wanted to add a little bit on that, um, just my opinion. Um, but I wanted to ask you guys about uh, you know the cuts for, for for the roster are coming up, and you know I know that uh, everything is up to speculation and there's been some surprises, but I just wonder your opinion on, on what do you think are going to be you know maybe three four players that that are, are going to be cut. Just just thinking about. Uh, what you've seen in practice, what you've seen about you know the, the conferences from, from the coaches and so on. Who, who are some players that you don't think are, are going to make the team or, or the practice squad for, for that matter?
3: Well, um, for one, uh, Lance, you may want to go there. I don't uh, because, quite frankly, it's unfair to start naming names and pointing fingers right now. I think if you look at the depth chart, you can pretty much figure out some of the folks who won't be here because either they did not play very much in the scrimmage and you haven't heard their names called out a lot in the practice reports throughout the various media. I think the Mm -hmm. scrimmage on Thursday, uh, Jeff Eagles said on yesterday's Inside Look practice show that we did on Giants.com, you can pretty much look at the guys who don't get very many reps or don't get any reps in Thursday's situational scrimmage because that is the last Mm -hmm. tryout before the cuts are made on Saturday. The team is off on Friday and off on Saturday, but the front office will be making cuts. The guys who don't play or only see a couple of snaps because they're all the way buried to the third and fourth string, you could probably take a real good guess that those will be the guys that you're not going to see. I I, I mean, I, yeah, to start naming names right now, it's not fair to those players. It's just not.
2: Well, I don't think there's going to be many surprises, Jamie, if you ask me. And the reason I go by that is because you said the practice squad. If you have 16 spots on the practice squad and you have a few players where there's no limitation on how many accrued seasons you had, meaning service time in the NFL, I think the mindset for a lot of teams is we haven't had preseason games, not a lot of film of these young guys out there. In all likelihood, they'll pass through waivers and they'll come back to us. So that would mean I think veterans have a significant advantage to make the team, and then we'll take our chances with the young guys making the practice squad, especially since you really haven't had much of an offseason. So I think from that standpoint, I would be surprised if there are a lot of those proven veterans, which, let's face it, there aren't many on this roster to begin with because the roster is young just by default. But if you want to look at it from a big-picture perspective, I think most of the veterans have a significant advantage because they know there's more film of those guys out there versus some of these young unproven guys.
3: Look at it this way, guys who have missed some camp time, you know, undrafted rookie free agents who have been nicked up and missed some camp time, they haven't done themselves any favors. okay? Now we saw Lee Andrews, the, the one defensive back, was just released this morning as part of the exchange of players that they did with the roster today. I mean, you had to know, you had to figure that, you know, based on the fact that he was hardly getting any snaps, he wasn't in good position. Um, you know, any any player, player X, who has missed a bunch of camp time, who, who the team does not have a lot invested in, you have to know that because of availability and with the COVID and everything else that's going on during this training camp, that's not going to bode well for you.
2: And appreciate the awesome. phone call, Jamie. Thanks so much for... Thanks. Weighing in. You got it. As we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, let's check in with Sean in Maryland. Sean, welcome aboard. What do you have for us? What's going on, fellas?
1: All um, right, Sean. Just right quick I just right quick I want to talk about um the previous conversation that you guys are having and I think it was like the second to last caller. He talked about Blake Martinez being the most important guy on the defense and I couldn't agree with him more. Um, the way I look at the defense nowadays. I kind of look at him as the Antonio Pierce of the defense, where he's pretty much like the quarterback of the defense, making adjustments, audibles, et cetera. And um, going back to uh, the 07 Giants, I looked at what, – what I did like about the 07 Giants on the spag was during the pre-snap, you would see the Giants – I mean, the offense come out, Giants will line up, but you will constantly see the D-line shifting, the linebackers moving around, I know last year we didn't see a lot of that, which was really annoying, um, because I want to confuse the offense as much as possible. So, like, last year the defense will come out, they will line up against that person, and there was no disguise in what kind of coverage we were in. So my question to you guys is, and I'm not sure if you can answer this or not, but during practice and stuff, in a way the new defense, the um, you know, coaching staff and the new defense that we have now, are they doing a lot of pre-snap movements Um, against, you know, as far as our defense is concerned.
3: Uh, You understand there are restrictions as to exactly how much any media person can say about practice because the public is not allowed to training camp and there are no preseason games. Therefore, Mm -hmm. uh, the teams in the league have put in very specific rules about stuff that you're not allowed to report in the media to uh, allow for the secrecy and privacy of these teams. So here's what I will tell you. You can expect to see an absolute cornucopia of defensive alignments <laughs> from the Giants this year. Okay, uh, to think that—and I've used this term before—the Patriots run a chameleon defense. They are constantly changing looks, not just week to week, but half to half, series to series. That is what Belichick does. These guys—you got what? Five coaches who I believe have connections to the Patriots, especially the defensive coordinator and the head coach, they are going to run a Belichickian-style defense. Trust me when I say that to you, and that's about the only thing I am allowed to say.
2: And uh, appreciate I, the phone call, Sean. Thanks so much for uh, joining us here on The Conversation. New England is known for its trickery and its variety of looks, so I would expect Patrick Graham to certainly take a page out of that playbook. Let's. I'll, I'll give
3: you one lock, Lance. Daniel Jones won't be playing corner.
2: (laughs) Thanks for going out on a limb on that one. The jury was still out. Len is in Columbia, Maryland. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Len?
9: Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, Paulie, um, I just want to pay you a compliment. You know, about 15 minutes ago, you went into uh, maybe a 90-second statement about Eli. And I just think you nailed it. I mean you you just nailed it in that statement, Paulie. And I think the most refreshing part of it, we're a year away from all of that. And um you know, it was said without emotion. And for a long, long time it was hard to talk about the Eli situation without getting emotional about it. But boy, I think you summed it up just beautifully. And uh thank you for that. I okay, hope all well, thank giant you. fans I, I hope all giant fans get attacked. <laughs> This is impossible, but I hope all Giant fans get a a chance to listen to that 90 seconds because I I think you summed it up perfectly, perfectly. Listen, you you surprised me earlier in the show when you made a comment about Bradbury, and uh, while it was refreshing to hear you um, give an analysis of a player and how they're doing, it's it's also quite unusual. As with the last caller, you didn't want to talk about guys who were on the bubble, etc., but you made a comment about Bradbury. Uh, that he, he wasn't playing very well, and, and my question is, how do you know that, Paul? I, I well, mean, wh- wh- here, where does here, that come from?
3: Here's the thing, uh, Len. You know, again, there are certain limitations about what we can say. Uh, the media protocols that are in yes, place yes, yes. make it make it difficult that sometimes we have to make some general statements without getting too specific. What I yeah. will tell you is, when you look at the defensive backs in camp, and then you look at the receivers, and you say, okay. How are they doing in their one-on-one drills? And then how are they doing in 11-on-11s and 7-on-7s? And then how are they doing in team drills? And which defensive backs seem to be in the shadow of the receivers more often? Which defensive backs seem to be getting their hands on the ball more often? Which defensive backs are knocking passes out of receivers' hands more often? Which guys are getting interceptions? Technically, it's about which guys are making plays. Truthfully, which guys are filling up the stat sheet in practice? Bradbury has not overwhelmingly filled up the stat sheet in practice. Darnay Holmes, in my opinion, has been the most productive defensive back during these practices, followed by Jabril Peppers and Julian Love.
9: Okay. You know, Paul, it's kind of interesting. It reminds me of a conversation I had with you two, three years ago through the fence at training camp. We spent a couple of minutes together, and um, – I was raving about uh, Shepard and the performance that he was putting on in the practice field, and you said to me, well, "Geez, Lynn, look who's covering him." And I forget who it was at the time, but that that statement kind of stuck with me. So I get you now. I understand where you're coming from. And, and let, let me let me um,
3: just add one other thing to that, though. The Giants sure, signed sure. Bradbury based on his tape with Carolina. We know from his tape in Carolina last year that he's an upper echelon cover corner, right? We know that yeah. from what he what he put on the field with the Panthers. I've never seen this guy practice before. All I've seen is game tape. The game yeah. tape looks really good. Uh the practice tape hasn't necessarily lived up to that game tape. But that doesn't yeah, okay. mean he can't be one of those guys who maybe is a better game player than he is a practice player.
9: Right, right. Back back to his Carolina days, Paul, look who he covered. Oh my goodness. I know. I mean you got a guy <laughs>
2: Yeah, some of the elite you of got receivers some guys in, in there the who are
9: probably going to the Hall of Fame who he covered pretty well when he Look, was at Carolina. Jack, I mean, Rabbit,
3: was, Jack Rabbit was not a great practice player, Len. Okay? He was okay. not. He was okay. not a great practice player, but for the most part, Jack Rabbit was, was a, a much better corner in games than what he showed at practice.
9: Okay, thank you. Thank you for that explanation. Let me let me just mention one. I think we're going to be very surprised at the veteran players that are kept on the practice squad, you know, those last six, or we don't have to call them the last six, but the six that are designated for, uh, for um, players mm-hmm. who've been around for a while. Um, I, I think the salary differential is going to make a difference. Let me, let me, let me give you an example. And it's purely hypothetical. I'm not suggesting he's going to get cut, but if, if you look at Pulley's projected salary, it's over $2 million. If he goes on the practice squad, it's 12,000 a week times 17 weeks. Now, there's nothing wrong with $200,000 as a salary, but that's one heck of a lot less than $2 million. I'm, I'm not sure people are going to be willing to play for that amount of money. And, and secondly, I'm not sure you even want them to play for that amount. I'm asking the guy to take an almost $2 million pay cut. I mean, that's... Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's also
2: I mean, assuming that's a guy like Billy have really to get signed elsewhere, too, keep in mind, in order for him to go I'm on I'm sorry, the I mis- all no, right. I said you, you I, also I, need to understand that's assuming that Pulley does not go signed with another team or claimed by another team. Right. So, you know, I mean, a veteran right. like that who has film could very well be attractive to another team.
9: Um, well, not only initially, but also during the season, Lance. Yeah, yeah I get that. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. I understand. it. But if, if he sits there for 16, 17 weeks, excuse me, um, I mean, it's, you know, it's a huge – I think we're going to be surprised at the type of player – now, if you talk to me, if, if you say to me, well, you know, that fourth string uh, tight end, Dickerson, I can understand why you might, you know, I, I get that. But we're, when guys are making millions, I'm not sure they're going to want to work for $200,000. All right, le- anyway, I think we're going to be surprised by the type of player that gets in. Listen, thanks for, thanks for taking my call. Go Giants. Let's-
2: Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much. Before we wrap up, Dave Gettleman was speaking to the media, so we'll bring on our very own John Schmelk to give us the latest in terms of what he told everybody with respect to the makeup of this team.
6: Yeah, there wasn't a ton, guys, to be honest with you. There's a few things that I starred here that I'll do very quickly. I know we're we're over here. Said despite the disadvantages, thinks the team can still compete this year, and he, he credited a lot of the way Joe Judge was getting extra reps in practice because they're working two fields at the same time. Uh, talking about building the secondary, said still work to do a cornerback, very happy with where safety is, um, despite the injury to Xavier McKinney. Um, didn't want to send benchmarks for Daniel Jones, just wants to continue to see growth. Um, he thinks during the year a lot of the help teams are going to use in terms of you know bringing in extra players is going to come from the practice squad. And it's not going to come from outside because, you know, it's going to take three or four days to pass protocol and uh, those sorts of things. Um, He was asked why the team is moving in the right direction. He says he likes the young players on the team and he thinks they're going to improve. He called it a young developing team. He said on the offensive line, um, in terms of the personnel and the talent, it's as close as they've been. Um, since Dave has been here to being where he wants the offensive line to be, it's just a matter of the kids growing up and playing better and learning how to play with one another. And finally, he was asked about Logan Ryan, and he would not commit to whether he's a corner or a safety. He said he could play a variety of roles. So my sense from that is that he's almost more of a McKinney replacement than he is a cornerback addition. If you understand where I'm coming from on that, I, I think he's kind of be going to be the kind of that. Third safety slot corner hybrid role that we would see with the three safeties before, more than he's going to be a boundary cornerback. He didn't say that. That was my sense in listening to his answer, which could be completely off base, but that was my interpretation.
2: Well, Joe uh, Judge <laughs> gave a familiar answer. Yesterday, too, when he was asked the same exact question, John, and he also said he, he's going to be moved around, he's versatile. So I don't think they're committing to one spot versus the other. I also think when you look at his snaps and where he was utilized over the course of his career, and he played 855 snaps in the slot, and then you know it was also a free safety and a box safety last season, it's understandable they may move him around there as opposed to slide him in on the outside. I think if you connect the dots, that certainly adds up.
3: Fellas, like so many other things in the NFL, it's a week-to-week situation. (laughs) Yeah, and it'll
2: change based on matchups. There's no doubt about it. I would see Logan Ryan. I could see him being moved around based on the matchup on a week-to-week basis where he's lined up in various spots. I don't think that's crazy to uh, think about when you look at what he can provide this defense. All right, we got to go. Yes, absolutely. That is going to wrap things up for us here on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Thanks to the callers. We'll check in on the tweets off the air. We are back up and running with a special post-scrimmage edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live tomorrow. That'll be coming your way at 4 p.m. Eastern, so note the change with respect to that. Then we'll be back to 11 a.m. Eastern on Friday. For Paul DeTino and John Schmelk, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.